Hey guys, what's going on? You're listening to another episode of the Women for Greatness podcast. This is episode 23 and it's hosted by Serena Hess. In this episode, you get to meet my friend Ashley. Ashley is one of my Instagram friends, real life friends, and you get to hear the story about how we met actually. Ashley is super fashionable and inspiring. You guys, this episode is powerful. I didn't know upon first meeting Ashley, but she actually has a very hard story. When I read the first draft of her story that she sent me, I cried. In this episode, she opens up into the trauma of what she went through when she was sexually abused as a child. We talk about being in a survivor mindset versus a victim mindset. Ashley provides resources for other women. This episode is to remind you that your story has power, even if it's heavy you can help other people with your story. Since releasing a blog post about her story, Ashley has received 49 DMs and counting, comments on her Instagram, and so much positive feedback. I hope you enjoy this episode. Let's jump in. Ashley, thank Hi. you for coming. <laughs> thank you for coming to my apartment today. Of course. In, in real life. <laughs> well, first I wanted to say each story and each experience you've been through, it's considered a gift to me because you're giving me your knowledge, what you've been through, things that you've learned. So it's a gift to myself and my audience. So thank you. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Ashley and I met at a wedding and she was a bridesmaid and Ben and I were shooting the wedding and I was like, oh my gosh, that girl is so pretty. And so after the wedding, after the wedding, I followed you and I was like, oh, okay. And so we weren't friends. We didn't really know each other, but I was like, oh, she's so cute. And so I'd go on your Instagram and be like, oh my gosh, like, obsessing so Ben was doing his photography stuff and he needed a model to shoot with and I was like you know what I don't really know this girl but she's so cute from Instagram maybe you should contact her about it so I don't know how it happened from there like he messaged you or whatever yeah and then you guys started shooting Mm -hmm. and so now you guys have these beautiful Instagram photos (laughs) and that's awesome like that helps me so I don't have to get ready all the time so thank you and plus you enjoy fashion I really do for me like trying to put together an outfit sometimes it's stressful so I'm like you know what like she has cute clothes already like just there that's ready (laughs) so for me it's sometimes a relief okay good like I don't have to be on point all the time so anyway you and Ben were shooting and then that's how we kind of got aware and befriended each other and started hanging out before I even knew you I would say oh my gosh like her hair is so beautiful she's so fashionable (laughs) and then (laughs) and then I would like catch myself starting to compare myself I'm like no Mm -hmm. no like that's my friend no I can't do that and but I would be like oh my gosh like and this is just all internal. This is nothing to say about you. But right. I no, I go through the same thing you yeah. know, with other girls. So. Yeah. And so I'd be like, oh, well, this isn't as fashionable. <laughs> Ashley would be wearing something, you know, just internal. Ben kind of brought it to my attention. Like, you know, uh, Ashley has like a harder story than you know, I think. She kind of mentioned something and I didn't hear the full thing, but I think she's been through some things and it kind of pulled me back like, oh, who I see and what I know from Instagram and this person that I've made up in my mind, she has a bigger story than what I actually know. Yeah. And I shouldn't be jealous or want like the clothes that you have or the situation you're in because I don't know the entire experience. So you kind of wanted to come on here and talk about some of your experiences. What made you want to share your story? Yeah. So thank you for that great intro. Yeah. But <laughs> So yeah, I in the past few years my life has really just been great to be honest and I feel so blessed to be able to say that, but definitely have come from 
hard times. And I think about last year, I started realizing that, you know, I was getting DM messages and things like, oh, your life's so perfect. And I would kind of get angry. But at the same time, it's like, they don't know my story. So all I'm putting out there is, you know, oh, this outfit and look at Mm -hmm. this nice restaurant we're at, or my husband got me flowers today or whatever, you know what I mean? Whatever you see on Instagram of someone else that makes you feel envious and I hadn't shared any of these hard times and I kind of got to thinking I personally want to share for my own self because Mm -hmm. it kind of hurt to feel like people were looking at me and like oh you're spoiled or it's so you're just so pretty your life's easy you know I've literally been told that and it's that's has nothing to do with someone's life being easy or not. So I also wanted to share because I kind of feel like I was doing like a disservice to mm-hmm. others. I have found the most interest in bloggers who share things that they've gone through. Mm-hmm. Even the Skinny Confidential shared, you know, that mm-hmm. massive jaw surgery she oh, went through. Oh, yeah. That was just so intense. And I remember thinking like those pictures were so <laughs> funny to look at, but it's like some other girl that's going through that may needed to see like Mm -hmm. look how far she's come look how she got through it Kaylee's podcast from you I Mm -hmm. thought that one was very inspiring because you look at her Instagram and the same thing yeah oh she's perfect her hip but like she has this amazing crazy story that she's been through and I want my story to be that for other girls what I've been through is not easy not easy for others to talk about and even hard for me a lot of times but I just think that it's really important and that's kind of the first step in helping other girls be able to come out about it. If I can't speak my truth, then how can others, you know, how can any of us speak ours? So mm-hmm. understanding someone like on a whole, you can love someone, but it's hard to love someone if you don't know everything about them type thing. You sent me um, a draft to your story last night just so I can kind of get a better grip on what we're talking about. And so after reading it, I thought like, wow, like I have so much more, not that I didn't have respect for you, but I have so much more respect understanding like what you've overcame, what you have gone through. And I'm like, wow, like she is such a warrior. Like you are so strong. Thank you so much. Because it's like, yeah, like from Instagram, it's oh, everything, like what she's saying, oh, your life is easy. You know, it's easy to like. And I'll be the first to say my life is great right now. Like it does feel easy, but Exactly. It's like, no, there's so much more to a person than yeah. that. It's like, you've been through the ringer, <laughs> but you've come out I and you're stronger. I so it. it's a long journey. Yeah. So let's kind of, what was like, what was growing up like for you? What was the dynamic of your family and what was your family unit? What did you know? Yeah. So growing up, we moved to Bakersfield when I was about six or seven. My mom had met a man. His name was Jimmy, who ended up becoming my stepfather. Mm-hmm. And it was my mom, my sister and I, my sister's five years younger than me. Okay. So how old was she? Two. Two. Yeah. Okay. She was little. So she basically, this was her, all her life. I I have a few memories like before moving to Bakersfield, but anyways, for the most part, my dynamic was Jimmy, my mom, my sister, and I. Growing up was hard. It was, you know, he didn't, he didn't start out as scary as things became. Beginning is like, oh, I brought you some jelly beans, you know, trying to win you over. But yeah. over the next few years and into my preteens, his true color started to show yeah and he drank a lot he was very mean to my mom which was really hard to watch Mm -hmm. just always downgrading her disrespecting her and as time went on that started to happen to us as well my poor sister 
I almost think that it was harder for me to watch what she went through sometimes than what I went through. That's just kind of the person I am. But, you know, seeing a young kid being hit and dragged to their room for the smallest things, that was really hard. So, yeah, my childhood was very, it was scary. I hated being home. I would get so much anxiety, like, at the end of the school day because I only really felt happy away from home. And Mm -hmm. because he was so controlling, I wasn't allowed to have slumber parties or go places on the weekends. Being at home was just almost like being in prison, and it was walking on eggshells. What are you going to do that's going to upset him and set him off and possibly make him hurt you guys or just scream the most horrible things at you and so it was just a scary unhappy environment for all of us I could even at a young age I could see the toll it took on my mom which was hard because as a kid I remember her being just the happiest funniest lady and to see how much he took from her over the years was hard and Mm -hmm. he took that from me and my sister a lot too so yeah so painting a picture of Jimmy It sounds very controlling, irrational anger, wanting, basically like the controlling theme, I felt wanting to control every aspect of his life and your lives. It sounded like everything you do. Is that? Everything. I would tell my husband, he couldn't even believe it. There were time periods in my life where like I had to ask to open the fridge. I had to ask to go to the bathroom. Just the craziest things. Very controlling. He would pick me up straight from class some days and, like, walk me to the car, which is, like, really embarrassing when you're a sixth grader. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Very controlling. Yeah. And so tell me about the time when your sister spilled food in the living room. For some reason, that one just really got to my heart. So we would always have this this family dinner, quote-unquote, where it's literally just us watching TV on TV trays with our dinner. It wasn't very, like, (laughs) family-oriented. But, you know, my sister was young. I can't remember exactly how old she was. I want to say, like, six or seven. But young enough to where a spill is kind of expected. Mm -hmm. And she spilled on the carpet. It wasn't really that big of a deal. I think it was spaghetti. But these are the type of things that would just set him off. You know, I remember him standing up, screaming, like, my sister just looking terrified. And him, like, grabbing her by the arm, dragging to her room, throwing her in the room, like telling me like I wasn't allowed to bring her any food she wasn't allowed to have dinner and for the next week I think it was she had to eat alone in the dining room by herself my sister and I I don't know I always really wanted to protect her and I hated how mean he was to her and to just to be a such a young kid and have to sit in this room alone and eat dinner staring at a wall and I like literally wasn't allowed to even mm. say like how's your macaroni and cheese <laughs> it was hard yeah I always like a lot of times I would try to take the blame for her or he had the for a while he would make us write sentences if we got in trouble mm-hmm. and I don't mean 50 sentences I mean thousands there was a time my sister got 2,000 sentences for something she did. I would try and sneak over there and try and help her write them. And he would make her write them all day long. How long would that take? Sometimes weeks. I mean, you're at school all day. You write them after your homework. You write them all day on the weekend. You get a lunch break if he's feeling nice. Mm -hmm. It was very hard to watch. And sometimes it seemed like she got the bulk of the physical and the emotional abuse. Mm -hmm. More so than me. And it was my struggle with it was just like I couldn't do anything, yeah. you know, and yeah. I guess neither could my mom or she felt like she couldn't at the time. So, yeah. And <laughs> then you mentioned that with school, it was kind of a wishy-washy thing. You were 
missing a lot of school and it was kind of doing this. Can you tell me about that a little bit? Yeah, so when I was younger, school was like such a struggle. So I was never out of school longer than two years, which in those pivotal, awkward years, that was hard. I was a lot of times the new shy girl, but then after like a couple months, I would kind of break out of my shell because like I said, school was like my escape place. So I always learned how to enjoy it and try to make friends. Mm -hmm. But yeah, we got, well, I got pulled out of school a lot and it just always seemed like there, he always would find a reason to kind of pull me away. And Mm -hmm. as I've gotten older, I've kind of started to sit and think maybe it might have been he didn't want me to connect with other people so that I couldn't share, you know, Mm -hmm. what was happening. Yeah, that was really hard for me. And I guess a specific memory of that was my (laughs) awkward first kiss in sixth grade. Your first kiss, it's literally like a two-second peck. That's what it was. It was on Valentine's Day. I was so nervous and (laughs) a yard duty, unfortunately, saw. Of course, have to like tell the office. Yeah. I got in so much trouble. I was called a slut. I was like held up against the wall and Mm. threatened. I never got to go. Jimmy. Yeah. I never got to go back to that school. Even the next day, I never went back to school. Um, Mm -hmm. And I was immediately placed into a private school because apparently I was a bad kid because of that. And private school was a hard adjustment for me also because I kind of felt myself angry with the other kids just because it seemed like their lives were so easy and Mm -hmm. privileged. I hate to make judgments, but this is how I was feeling at that time. This was about sixth grade. I did make connections, but... I definitely went through like a little emo stage at that point, you know, the awkward bangs in the face and um, I didn't enjoy going to that school and I didn't, I don't know. I think it was also that I didn't like the idea that I was being sent to a private school because I was bad and I Mm -hmm. needed to be like changed because I didn't understand what he saw in me that was so bad, you know, Mm -hmm. I was very much a rule follower growing up. Um, I got straight A's for the most part. If I got a B, I would freak out on myself. Mm -hmm. So, and then, you know, I did my chores, everything. It was so confusing to me, like what, what in me was so bad. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of something that I started to realize is that no matter what I did, no matter what my mom did, no matter what my sister did, it was never going to be good enough Mm -hmm. to where, discipline or punishment wasn't needed yeah yeah so so what you said earlier like about feeling like you were walking on eggshells was kind of the theme almost and getting in trouble wasn't just like oh you're grounded for a week it would it could be months it could be something that physically hurts you or thousands of sentences in your hands like cramping for weeks just the most bizarre thing so it was scary getting in trouble was very scary yeah middle of seventh grade i started to kind of cry for help at the time. I didn't realize that's what I was doing, but um, I started to self-harm and going through this very intense emo phase and the school caught on to it and, you know, had a meeting with my parents and they were concerned because I had been caught self-harming at school. Mm. And my parents, aka my stepfather's solution was to pull me out of the school mm-hmm. and I was homeschooled for the rest of junior high. Yeah. Which was horrible for me. I was so awkward my first year of high school. (laughs) I, like, for a year and a half didn't have, like, any contact with anyone my age. It was just, like, my younger sister and sometimes her um, little cousin. Mm -hmm. And then my uncle at the time who 
was about probably 11, 11 and a half when he came into the picture and started living with us. Mm-hmm. That's he old was, you were. Yes. 11, that's 11 Yeah. Half. He was yeah. probably about 16 or 17. And he w- had been going down a bad path and wanted to get clean so he could go into the Marines. And yeah. my mom and stepfather agreed to take him in. Yeah, to do a favor, basically, and help yeah. him get on his feet. Yeah. So you would do your homeschooling, correct? Yeah. At your mom's office? Yes. Mm-hmm. I spent those <laughs> those days in an office. It was really just worksheets I filled out. Mm-hmm. Not very challenging. And then we would literally watch movies in the conference room. And so then Ryan came into the picture. And then what happened with that? Yeah, so this is when it gets kind of heavy. This is when I my sexual abuse began. Ryan began touching me and was very secretive about it. It was very confusing. Mm -hmm. I was, didn't really understand what was happening, but you kind of have this feeling like this is not right. Because why is he so secretive? Why do I feel like I don't want anyone to walk in right now, like terrified? Mm -hmm. And I remember just feeling very frozen. As this went on, I never said anything. And it continued to kind of progress Mm -hmm. and... It would be happening, you know, in the pool at home or, you know, if we're watching a movie at home, whether we're at the office, I was really like never safe from it because my stepdad was so scary and my mom really couldn't do much for me. I felt like I had nobody to really turn to Mm -hmm. and nobody to protect me. And so why would I say anything at that point? I also remember my stepdad seeing this go on. It happened a few times, but I really remember that first time uh, we were in the pool and Ryan was molesting me and, you know, my cousin and my sister were in the pool. They didn't have any idea what was happening, but they were out there. And I, I looked up at the house, you know, we had the big sliding glass doors with the blinds. I saw Jimmy peering at us like through the blinds and he could see clearly what Ryan was doing. Yeah. And he just walked away. In that moment, I was very, very confused. Mm -hmm. I didn't, because I was so young, it's like, you think, it's just kind of like, wow, you know, is this not wrong? It it feels very wrong. It has Mm -hmm. to be wrong, but like, why did he let that happen? Yeah, if he's supposed to be the adult protecting and he didn't. Yeah. Yeah. What's going on here? And now that I'm older, unfortunately, I can kind of realize that I think that really opened the door for Jimmy, who ultimately became the abuser that affected me most because he saw me, which, you know, I hate to say it, but I feel like I looked weak at that time. You know, I wasn't saying anything. I wasn't sticking up for myself. And he saw that and really took advantage of it. Mm -hmm. So So how did things end with Ryan? Weirdly enough, um, one of the times in the conference room, he was groping me under the table and I visibly was upset like I was about to cry I was frozen and like kind of felt like I couldn't move and he wrote down like on a note card if you don't like this you can say no dot 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 and I remember at that time thinking like wow that never even crossed my mind you know my entire life since we moved here was like I wasn't allowed to say no to anything. Mm -hmm. I was just allowed to do 
It's yeah. a very small range of things, and I had to ask to do anything else. And it felt very surreal, but I just wrote N-O on the note card and slid it back. And he never did it again, and we never talked about it again. I ended up telling my family, honestly, years later after I even told them about my stepdad because I couldn't really see Ryan at family functions anymore. But that's how that ended. And then a few months later, he ended up going into the Marines. So mm-hmm. it was yeah. safe somewhat for a moment Mm -hmm. for that moment was it just like oh got through that yeah and it was also confusing because when he left it felt weird like now what when I see you next you know like how do I feel about you seeing you at Thanksgiving Mm -hmm. it was very awkward yeah so then what happened so the timeline gets very fuzzy. Um, looking back, I just kind of think it's your memory's funny way of protecting you. Mm-hmm. So I can't exactly remember how long it took between Ryan and Jimmy, but Jimmy began to molest me. It was the summer before I went into high school. I remember that. Mm-hmm. And it this was the most bizarre feeling. It started very ironically, too. He was giving me the sex talk in the most negative way, you know, telling me, be careful, all boys are going to want from you is sex, and that's not something you should ever tell a young girl. And then proceeded to take me into the living room and basically have his way with me. Mm -hmm. So apparently that's all he wanted from me, too. Took me into the living room, and this is kind of how it started. It was basically how it played out for the, the next three years. He would ask me if I needed a massage and whether I said yes or no really didn't matter. I was getting a massage and would pull down my pants and basically grope me right in the living room where anyone could have walked out. The first time it was, I keep saying confusing, but at that time it was very confusing. All that's going through my head is what is happening? What do I do? Just feeling frozen and weak and just laying there basically like I have no control Mm -hmm. and scared, you know, if I said no, what he would do. This continued for three years and escalated a lot. Honestly, he basically took everything from me except my virginity, Mm -hmm. which I'm thankful I at least had that. But I basically felt like my innocence was gone before I even entered high school. So, yeah. It was a very long and hard journey those three years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was a damn expert at keeping it a secret because I was scared. We weren't really financially stable. My mom worked a lot. My stepfather at the time was on um, disability leave. Mm-hmm. And he basically took care of the house and I didn't know what to do. How I didn't know how we would survive if he was gone financially. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how my mom would react. I also had tried so hard to get my mom to leave him, get someone to help us by telling them, you know, of the physical abuse, the emotional abuse, mm-hmm. you know, the drinking, and it didn't seem like any of that mattered. Yeah. And at the time, it's just like what if this doesn't matter? And then I just look like a fool and I, I tell someone and I still have to stay here with him. Yeah. And I was terrified of that. Yeah. What did he say, like, if you told, like, about your mom financially? 
yeah, he basically told me that, you know, at, at the time my brother had been born, I was 16 when he was born, and... So newborn. Newborn. So newborn, 11-year-old, and 16-year-old. Yeah, and my mom was working at Hall, which those are very long shifts. She was mm-hmm. basically either gone all day or all night. I did express to him one time that I wanted to tell her, and he just basically said that would be the most selfish thing I could do, mm-hmm. because what would happen to... Brittany and Colton and my mom, she's gone all day. Who would take care of them? You know, we couldn't afford to live in the house anymore. Where would we go? Just all the things that can scare the crap out of a teenager. Yeah, I was worried about all that. But, Mm -hmm. you know, he also told me, who's going to believe you? After being shown that people weren't really willing to help for the other things that I feel like were also very severe, I kind of believed him, you know, like it seemed frivolous to tell. What if nobody helps us? What if I just put us in a horrible situation? Mm -hmm. At 16, you're kind of really battling with the right and the wrong after the things that had happened. Kind of like a searching period for you, it sounds like. Like, well, what is right? What is wrong? Well, no one's saying anything about this. No one's speaking up for me. No one is protecting me or defending me. Yes, it felt so alone. Yeah. And I didn't really touch on this on the draft, but at that time I was also heavily responsible for my siblings because my mom, she worked all day and nights a lot, but especially when she was working the night shift, she had to sleep during the day. Mm -hmm. So I was watching my brother, would wake up in the morning, make them food, drop my brother off at daycare, take my sister to school, get myself to school, usually late by then. Basically Um, mom. Yeah, and then after school I would rush to daycare, I would take Colton home to my stepdad, and sometimes pick up Brittany, sometimes she took the bus, and then I would rush back to school, and I would do my soccer practice, and then I would go to work. Mm -hmm. So I really had no time also. So not only was I dealing with the abuse, but I was being run into the ground, and Mm -hmm. it was definitely a very low point in my life. I was becoming pretty depressed, even though people couldn't really tell. Mm -hmm. I was beginning to get in a dark place. Yeah, so at uh, 16 and a half, or was it 17, when you had your high school boyfriend, so what happened there when you met him? He was great, very loving guy. I ended up opening up to him because it's a very weird feeling to be being abused in that way and also have a boyfriend. It almost feels like cheating in a sense, even though you're not in control. Yeah. And I ended up telling him, also telling him, you know, mm-hmm. please don't tell anybody. I don't know what will happen to my family. I'm scared. At that time, a main concern was that he was going to take my brother and run because he had actually threatened that. Jimmy. Before. Yeah, Jimmy. And so I was just like, please don't tell anyone. He ended up telling his mom, which... <laughs> I'm very thankful for it now, but at the time was like, you know, my stomach dropped into like You're dropped like, and oh I was like, gosh, it's out. An adult knows now. I was close with his mom too, and she basically was like, girl, like, we gotta tell. We gotta get you safe. I'll do whatever I can. They picked me up in the middle of the night. I had never snuck out before. <laughs> never really broken a rule. I was terrified. I snuck out. I spent the whole night at their house talking to them about my game plan, basically. How are you going to tell? You have to do this. You know, I even pleaded with her, can we just not tell? But 
I needed to. It needed to happen. You know, I was scared my mom wasn't going to leave him. I was scared no one was going to believe me. They convinced me, and I, I snuck back home and went through my normal routine the next day. I got the kids up, got breakfast, took them to school. My mom and stepdad were gone for the day, and I texted my mom. I decided to text because... Yeah. I was honestly very scared to see her reaction. I knew it was going to hurt. I didn't know if she was going to be angry. I just, I needed to text it. I just told her what had been happening. Basically just the Spark Notes version for the past three years, this has been happening. Mm-hmm. I've been scared to tell you. I didn't know if it would make you leave him, but I have to tell you, she immediately called me and crying and I'm so sorry and I'm calling the cops right now. The cops came to our house, and that was so scary, especially being questioned because another big fear is people not believing you. Unfortunately, some girls do use this as, you know, if they get in trouble for something in high school, they'll unfortunately sometimes cry wolf. And so, you know, Mm -hmm. I did get questioned pretty heavily by the cops, and I remember crying and just saying, like, this is why I haven't told yeah. And that cop that I told that he was younger and he's actually checked up on our family a few times <laughs> since then. I remember him telling me like, we believe you and like, we're on your side. We just, we need this information so mm-hmm. that we can, you know, arrest him. I kind of had to go through that day. Like everything was normal as far as my stepdad. Knew. Yeah. And uh, my mom and I went to the police station and a detective hooked me up to this funky machine and connected it to my phone and I had to like try Mm. to get him to admit to guilt all over the phone. It was, that was really hard because the things you have to say are things that I had never even said out loud. You have to specifically say, so like, was Mm. there insertion? These type of things coming out of my mouth at this time. Not only had I never spoke those type of things, I had never said though, confronted Jimmy really. All Mm. I said is I want to tell about what's happening. Yeah. So over the phone, I asking these specific things like, but I feel this when you did X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. At first he did admit guilt. <laughs> Sorry mm-hmm. to, there was a point where I could hear in his voice, he, he knew what was happening and he was like, okay, well, like, can we talk about this when I get home? I'm coming home right now. And I was just like, no, I want to talk about it now. And he hung up. Mm-hmm. He ended up fleeing at that point. There was a two week period where we were like, We lived with my high school boyfriend at the time for like a week. We stayed with a family friend for like a week. We didn't know if he was going to try and come get us at the house. He was had a violent history and a history of drinking. And I'm sure he was very upset that I told. So we were kind of in hiding. I wasn't able to go to school for that time and had to tell my principal what had been going on, which was embarrassing, honestly. But it was very hard and those two weeks were very scary and my mom was going through mourning all this Mm -hmm. but after the two weeks they ended up the detective found him in LA at an apartment with a gun and he also had a belly full of pills he had planned to kill himself and the detective actually he called me when he caught him and said that uh, he thought that would have been a an easy way out for him. Yeah. And so they took him to the hospital and he ended up, we had to go through the whole case thing and he got a jail sentence for only a year, which was hard to find out at the time because he took so many years from me. Unfortunately, that's just how it went down and I have to accept that. So, and he's a registered 
child offender. Yes. Yeah. What was the road to healing like after that moment? Yeah, so you'd think it would get easier after you tell, but it got a lot harder for me because it just felt like all of a sudden my world got turned upside down and this giant secret was out. My family knew, more friends knew, the school knew, Mm -hmm. and I just felt like this fat label was put on me. All of a sudden it wasn't so easy to hide how depressed I was. And so I was visibly depressed. I was very upset. Crying was a normal occurrence in everyday life. And I just felt really heavy and my grades dropped. Nothing was really interesting anymore. My whole life just felt like abuse was all I could think about. Mm -hmm. The things that happened to me, the hurt it caused. I mean, because it hurt my family for them to find out. Yeah, it was... (laughs) harder after I told but yeah that doesn't change the fact that I believe I had to do that if I didn't tell it might have happened to my sister my mom might have never gotten free from him I have to be honest it was hard because now here it is on the table like look now you have to deal with it basically I wanted nothing to do with dealing with it I was told I should get counseling right away there's actually this great resource called basically victims of these types of crimes get free counseling so I would go to the counselors but like I could never open up I couldn't say what had happened to me and I kind of just avoided it at all costs I was very busy at the time so I was just going through the motions yeah it sounds like well something happened to you and you didn't want it to happen obviously and then when you finally had the courage to tell and it was out then it's almost you had to confront it like it was more head-on and it's like this thing you didn't even want to begin with multiplied now it's like oh my gosh now it's now everyone knows yeah it felt like it took over my life in in a second because school is my escape friends were my escape and I just felt like that's all I was. People and at that time to myself, you know, all I was was a victim. I'm glad you mentioned victim. So what was like the shift between like a victim mindset? Oh, this happened to me. Oh, this, I can't do anything. So what was your transition from a victim mindset to a survivor mindset? Yeah, it, it wasn't very straightforward, I'll be honest. I definitely started after this all happened to this. I'm so angry at the world. Mm-hmm. And I, I literally f- know that I expected just something good to just happen to me. And that's not how life works. A lot of people get a rough start and there's never this magical little thing mm-hmm. that happens. It's like, oh, life's great now. So I'm at this point where I'm just like angry about everything and... I was working at Vons, basically taking care of my siblings. Mm. I had started at CSUB, but quit after my first semester. I couldn't focus. I just felt like I was not going anywhere with my life. What was I doing? Mm -hmm. Other than just living with this horrible depression and taking care of my siblings. How old were you? Um, I want to say 18, 19. Yeah. Unfortunately, I didn't. I don't have a lot of people in my family who is someone that I can like really look to as like a mentor or someone that like could have helped me. But I had my grandpa at the time and my Grammy. They lived in Montana and I remember calling him one day and I just was done. I was like so upset with the way I was living my life and how sad I was in I called him crying and saying, you know, I don't feel like living anymore. What am I living for other than I love my siblings, but it wasn't enough for me just 
trying to help them and trying to help my mom. I was on antidepressants, which were making it, everything feel so much worse. I remember I could hear my Grammy in the background. She's a very strong, confident woman. She's like, that's it. I've had enough. She's moving here with us. <laughs> the next day, my grandpa calls me and says, you know, we want, we want you to come stay with us. Like, you need to see that there's hope. And basically, you need to take back your life. So not to get confusing, but at that time, I was dating my now husband, Jeffrey. Mm. That kind of played into it, too, because there was this amazing opportunity to move to Montana and Mm -hmm. finally be free and not have to take care of others to actually tap into self-care and take care of myself when I really needed it. And I remember coming to Jeffrey and... I was scared, you know, I just told him, like, this opportunity, like, I, I don't want to leave you, but I don't, I feel like I'm at rock bottom. Mm-hmm. And he immediately his, responded so quickly, you have to go. Mm-hmm. I will wait for you, but you have to go. We drove there together, and he flew home, and he mm-hmm. visited me a lot. I was only there for six months, but to get back to your question, I really feel like during that time was when my mindset changed. Yeah. I started kind of taking life by the horns and started to see like how much I could do. I interviewed at their hospital there and got an amazing internship where I got to work at multiple departments, the marketing department, the foundation. I got to do event planning. Mm -hmm. It made me feel so good. And like everyone I worked with was just basically telling me, you know, you should stay here. Like, we'll give you a salary job next year. Like, (laughs) and I was like, wow, like I, I can do this. And I also was going to school. I had a night job, so I was still busy, but I was I was choosing to do those things and they were for me. I was saving money for school. I was actually going to college again and I started to feel good. At the time I was also having these late night talks with my grandpa where he would kind of joke about how are your demons? How are you dealing with your demons? But he really just helped me realize that like okay, yeah, you do need to deal with that, but Also, like, what do you want to do with the rest of your life now? To be in a victim mindset is basically forever feeling that way that you felt at that moment you were being abused. And I started to realize now I'm kind of abusing myself because Mm -hmm. all I'm doing is sitting here being sad and thinking about it. And why isn't anything good coming my way? Why can't I, like, escape this? But really, I had to, like, make that change and think, like, no, where do I go from here? How do I restart my life? And, you know take back these years Mm -hmm. so I think moving to Montana was made that pivotal yes it was very pivotal made me make that mindset change basically like Mm -hmm. and showed me that I can do it and that's also the time that I came across the book that I mentioned in my blog post it's called a courage to heal and it basically became my quote-unquote bible it's an amazing book I highly recommend what's in the book a big part that helped me is the personal stories that are in it. I'm almost positive that both authors, but I know for sure one, were sexually abused themselves. So they kind of tell their story and then they have other women send in their stories. I remember reading these and just thinking like, wow, you're not supposed to compare stories, but it's just like, wow, that's that seems even harder or more intense than what I experienced. And, you know, look at her. she She's doing well now. Yeah, that's something that it's really important to hear. Like someone else was able to move forward from this specific thing. But the book also just has great information. It was kind of like my little counselor. You could flip to a chapter about anger and, you know, learn how to work through being angry with other family members or angry with your abuser or just angry at the world. 
you could flip to the depression chapter and like the another thing that really helped me was they talk a lot about triggers mm-hmm. and it's really important to learn what your triggers are because you could just be going about your day, feel fine, and then all of a sudden this image flashes in your head and my whole day would be ruined. Mm-hmm. And I started to realize like, okay, when I feel like this, I kind of tap in to, you know, that abuse and get flashbacks. And so I can either avoid that or just learn coping mechanisms and have them ready when that thought comes I can deal with it it touches a lot of deep stuff yeah what what are some of the ways to deal with like the triggers that you mentioned in your blog yeah I think it's different for everyone one that I mentioned specifically that really helped me um it sounds kind of odd, but it just really worked. It was just like a little trick of the mind. I, I was having a problem with just the memories would come flooding back at the worst times. Like I'd be sitting at the check stand at Vaughn's and like, I'm just thinking like, oh, what he did to me three years ago and you're in tears and it's just that wasn't working for my life. Yeah. And so when those memories would come instead of crying or instead of just like letting it overwhelm me, I started changing the memory in my head. And I would let it play out. And then I would say, like, in my head, obviously, no. And this time I would stand up and I'd imagine myself standing up and I would walk out and I'd basically stand up to him. And it just reminded me that I'm in control now. That was helpful for me. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's like rewiring your brain Mm -hmm. and rewiring your self-talk, rewiring your memories. Yes. I love when you were talking about when you went to Montana, it transitioned you and an overcomer and okay, this happened. Now what? I can do amazing things with my life. This happened and it was awful and terrible. And yes, I went through that but I'm strong because I went through that. I have the rest of my life to create and do something amazing and leave an impact. And I bet like when you were working at the hospital and people were noticing, oh, you're good at this. Yeah. I bet that was like, oh. My confidence started to build because it was very low at the time. And yeah, Yeah. exactly. It was a big realization for me. Like, okay, like I'm, I am powerful. I can Mm -hmm. do things. Mm -hmm. I can change. So then you went to counseling Yes, I did. Mm -hmm. I did go to counseling, not probably for as long as I needed, but I also had close ones that I kind of used for that as well. Um, Jeffrey was a big rock for me. Counseling was so important for me. I mean, even just what got me into psych. When I started taking, you know, Mm -hmm. psych classes, just like you needed Yeah. Mm -hmm. In Jenna, like, started like, oh, learning stuff about myself. Maybe that's why, or maybe this, and I would go to my instructors after and talk to them blah, blah, blah. But once I got to an actual counselor, they were really able to tell me like, almost, I want to say like the scientific way that you're thinking. She was like, okay, look at this list. And it was a list of negative thinking patterns. Mm -hmm. And I just read through them all and I identified with them all. She's like, do you feel like you do any of those things? You know, it may just be a couple. I was like, it may just be all of them. (laughs) I guess realizing there was a reason for why I was feeling that way, there was a reason why I was behaving that way, Mm -hmm. it made me feel better and it made me realize like, okay, like now I can try to change these thinking patterns. Yeah. And even if you have to go and get your list and like read it, Mm -hmm. I would do that because your mind is very powerful and it can either like take over you or you you can take it back. Yeah. So what are you pursuing right now? So I started grad school last week. Yay. Yay. I'm so excited. I'm at Cal State Bakersfield doing their master's program for counseling. Mm -hmm. What I want to do with it specifically, 
I really just want to help other women. I really just want to help people that are going through trauma because I've learned a lot about PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. I definitely had that for a period in my life. Trauma is just a monster in itself. Mm -hmm. It can really change a person, change your thoughts. And there was a lot of moments where I was scared that I was never going to be able to change, that I was always going to be sad. I was always going to feel hopeless. And life was always going to seem this way. Mm -hmm. And I know that there has to be other people feeling that way who have been through intense traumas and just feel like there's no way out. Now that I've seen that there is a way out, you know, those things don't haunt me like they used to. Mm -hmm. I really want other people to see that too and be able to take that leap, find hope and take back their lives. Mm -hmm. So I just really want to help others and It may specifically be other girls that have been through what I have been through, but just any sort of trauma can really take a toll on a person. So Mm -hmm. that's specifically what I want to go into. With the counseling, you want to be like a light finder and a hope finder for other people. Yes. So like if they're stuck and in the middle of something, you want to be the person to be like, hey, I've been there. I went through something crazy too. Like there is a light, like there is hope. There is a reason to keep going. Yes, it sucks now. Yes, it's terrible. Yet, like, all of those terrible things. But it's like, there is a reason. And, like, there is hope. And you can change your mindset. And, like, life can get better. Yeah. I think also, yeah, for a long time I felt like it was, what happened to me was so negative. And obviously it's horrible. I don't wish it on anyone. Yeah. But I am the way I am now because of it. And, you know, I'm very a very hard worker because I had to be at a young age. I'm strong because I had to be at a young age. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I just want other people to realize that too, that good can come out of it. And that's kind of why I want to go into counseling is because Mm -hmm. it's almost feels like my healing is coming full circle. Okay. I've healed. And before I was scared that this was going to define me, but now I'm kind of like, you know, I'm strong. I can be a spokesman for other women and think that we all deserve to share our story and Mm -hmm. share our truth and it's hard for people to hear because sometimes it's an ugly truth but once you share it it's so freeing Mm -hmm. and it's helpful to other girls those stories and those books really kept me going so I hope that my story maybe if someone's listening and they have gone through that or going through it or even just other trauma they're working through like keep pushing Keep trying to find whatever is going to work for you because, like, it is worth it. Your life is worth it, and, like, you can take back control. Mm -hmm. If you had a a billboard and you could put any message on the billboard to shout to the world, (laughs) to shout on the rooftops, what would your billboard say? I don't keep pushing. I mean, keep working through it, but also tell somebody, please. You're not doing anyone any favors by keeping it a secret. Yeah. And I, I believed that for a long time, but really I was just hurting myself and possibly hurting others because that person will most likely go do it again to someone else. So tell somebody, find someone that you trust to tell mm-hmm. and it's going to be scary. You're going to be vulnerable, but like 
good things are going to come out of it. And that's your first step towards healing. Okay, so where can everybody find you and follow you and send you a message and say hi? Yes, please do. Definitely follow me on Instagram. I'm really active on there. Ashley and Eki. <laughs> we'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, there you go. Um, I also have a blog, which is linked on my Instagram. So go check that out. There is a blog post that kind of goes along with what Serena and I have been talking about. But yeah, please feel free message me, leave a comment on my blog, especially, you know, maybe someone out there that hasn't, you know, reached out and talked about it. I would love to be that person for you. Consider me a safe place to come and I would love to talk to you about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Well, guys, there you have it. Ashley is brave and strong and powerful. And to anyone listening, if you heard your story while you were listening to Ashley's, don't be afraid to reach out to someone. Don't be afraid to find a trusted friend, a trusted mentor, someone that you know will be there for you. When we try to hide these things in our life, they consume our entire mind. You guys, I love you and I know you were made for greatness. I know you're pursuing greatness and I know you can do amazing, amazing things. Ashley is a survivor and you are too. In closing, if you guys enjoyed this episode or you've enjoyed any past episodes, I would love for you to leave a review on iTunes. It helps other people find the show. If you liked this episode specifically, take a screenshot of it and put it up on your Insta story to share it with your friends. Until next Wednesday, guys, you are a woman made for greatness. So pursue just that. Bye guys.